Welcome to the Breaking the Stars podcast, where we feature stories of people from non-traditional backgrounds that broke into tech. For those of you that didn't listen to episode 11 with Richard Purcell, he says that Silicon Valley is the new Wall Street. On today's episode, we have a conversation with Preeti Kassaretti, who was an investment banker at Goldman Sachs, left her job to be a venture capitalist at Andreessen Horowitz, wrote a viral blog post that talked about how she left the best job in the world to become a software engineer at Coinbase. The reason why this interview is amazing is not only because she talks about the tactical advice that it took for her to become a software engineer, she covers her decision-making process, what she did to differentiate herself, the dynamics with schools focused on tech and uh, why they aren't thinking about things that are different than consulting and finance. Um, and it's an episode that's relevant whether you want to be in tech or not um, and want to get a better understanding of how things are changing around you. So make sure you check it out, tell your friends, um, and let us know the feedback and reviews. Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10X. Yo, yo, yo. This is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies Arten Timor Meister. And this is the Breaking of Stars podcast. Timor, can you please tell the people what we're doing today? Yeah, so today we're recording uh, our episode from Hack Reactor. It's about 8 p.m. on a Monday. And uh, we're actually sitting in the back room uh, on one of the floors of the Hack Reactor building. We kind of literally broke in because we just uh, went up the elevator, went into the conference room in the back. And uh, if we step outside the room, there's people whiteboarding, talking about coding, uh, they're building apps. And uh, we're about to talk about how to break into startups. Arthur, please introduce our guest. Yeah. Today, we have a very special guest, Preeti Kassaretti, who is an engineer at Coinbase. It's a Bitcoin startup. Super hot. You guys should ch- totally check it out. Preeti has a super interesting story of how she broke into tech. She started out in investor banking right out of school, and then she joined Andreessen Hoare, which, which is a top VC firm out here. And you may have heard about her from her blog post called uh, Why I Left the Best Job in the World, and where she talks about why she left VC to join Hack Reactor and learn how to code. Preeti, before we begin, can you take us back and tell us about where you're from and kind of what you were up to before you broke into tech? Yeah, sure. So I kind of lived all over the place when I was younger. I was born in Connecticut, moved to Chicago, and then I lived in India for four years, moved to New Jersey. Kind of like that change in pace, it forced me to continue to learn and make new friends and make new relationships. And I went to high school in New Jersey. And the couple of things that I was like very dedicated to are one were my grades. I just, for some reason, I had this instinct that like I had to get really good grades to do whatever I wanted. Second was Taekwondo. I did Taekwondo from third grade until I graduated high school and was a first degree black belt. Wow. And so don't mess. You shouldn't <laughs> mess with you. Yeah. And I hope to continue actually and get back to it at some point. The other thing I did was dance, Indian dance. So I performed in New Jersey at a bunch of different places and played basketball in high school. Those were my kind of main things. And in high school, the couple of things that I was really, really good at and that I loved were math and physics. And people typically hate these subjects, but I was in love with it. I took all the AP classes and I felt like 
I had some, my teachers kept telling me that I have a talent for physics and math. And they said, when you go to college, you should look into those and pursue something related to those. And when I got to college, I had no idea what I wanted to do yet. I kind of knew I was good at physics and math, but I didn't want to put my foot down and say like, this is what I want to do. I wanted to just explore for the first year. So I did that. I came in undecided, took a bunch of engineering classes because I felt like that's one thing I, I want to consider. But I also took a bunch of like psychology classes, sociology classes, more like people related subjects. And in the end, I decided to do engineering because it felt like it was a solid degree. And I knew I was going to pay for my own college or I was paying for my own college. I was like, if I'm going to pay this much money to go to USC, I might as well get a degree that feels like something that's worth yeah, paying what that type much. of engineering do you study industrial systems engineering awesome and for our listeners what do industrial engineers do yeah in short what they do is they use math physics uh, science and engineering to optimize people systems and processes so it's very applicable to like large manufacturing companies large car companies to optimize their processes and stuff got it got it and so clearly you know in the intro arthur was talking about how you went from engineering you have this well-rounded background in the arts and, and fighting people and things like that. And so what led you to go the business route? It's a good question. So I ended up doing a minor in business because I felt like I, along with the engineering degree, it, it'd be good to get the business part as well. I got pulled into a bunch of information sessions for banking and my friend's like, you should just come. I just need headcount there. I just need to drag you there because I need to bring at least 10 people. And so I went to my first one Something about it really sparked my interest. And I kept going to them, even though I was a junior and I, they weren't really recruiting for juniors at that point. What do you think drew you towards investment banking? Because it sounds like you were very passionate about the sciences. Yeah. So what about those information sessions got your attention and your interest? Yeah, because I was one of those like nerds who started going to career booths when I was a freshman in college. I had my resume all sparked up like freshman year. And it, like people were like impressed that I was a freshman and doing all this. And so it was kind of, I felt like unmotivated when I saw some of the, because in engineering, you're kind of like, oh, I'll get a job. I'm not worried about getting a job. I'm an engineer. And that's, that's, that's a great, that's fine because it's true. Like you're technical, you'll get a job. Whereas the business people, they're hunting for jobs, like starting from freshman year because it, it's very competitive and like a lot of the, the same roles exist for a lot of people. And, and I fell into that competitive loop, something about that really caught my interest. And I felt like these people were just as motivated as me and I wanted to be part of that. And so that's when I started looking into banking and it was like, I met a, a really solid group of friends that I was doing this whole recruiting process with really, really smart people. And then I decided like, I'm going to commit myself hundred percent to recruiting for banking for junior year. I ended up getting an offer at Goldman for a summer internship junior year. So that's what started it. How was the investment banking interview process? It was, uh, so I got really lucky. I did a bunch of studying ahead of time and my first interview was Goldman Sachs and I got it. So I didn't really get through. I didn't have that many interviews. And I think they hired me just based on, because I was obviously not the most financially technical person. I, would, I didn't do finance. I didn't take any finance classes. But I think they hired me based on the potential to learn. Like if you're an engineer, like most people just kind of believe that if you can do engineering, you can do almost anything else. So that was kind of what they hired me on. Yeah. Yeah. So no, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And so... You know, it's definitely different than the traditional investment banking process. So you get in and how was the training process? Was it hard? Did you learn a lot of things? Was it everything that you expected? Yeah. So I think I'll, for, to answer that question, I'll go to the full-time part because that's where the training actually starts. 
So before the full-time job, so I got a full-time offer and then I did that after senior year. It's a six-week training thing. And so Goldman takes the training very seriously. They pretty much teach you from nuts and bolts, everything. And I thought it was really good. I got a little bit sick during that time. And so I couldn't take it as seriously as I wanted to. And then I started the the job and it was as intense as anyone talks it up as 800 hour weeks. I was spending more because I was like learning. This was the stuff was new to me. So I was learning a lot of it on the job Two, I got put on like an IPO right away. And it was like the most important IPO for Goldman that year. And like I was the only analyst at that time. And so I was spending like 100, 120 hours a week there, pretty much living there. Even Thanksgiving, I was in the office. Says Um, a lot about your work ethic. And yeah, it was intense. And But I think I realized that while I like the people and I love the training, I was starting to feel like this is not what I want to do in two, three years from now. I was like, I feel like I'm spending time on something. I'm learning stuff that I'm not really going to use that much because it's not what I want to do. And I wanted to go back to my engineering roots. I, that's where I felt like I had the most spark and that's where I felt like the most interest. And I, I'm a creator. I'm naturally very creative and I'm, I'm a builder and I want to go back and do that. So that's when I decided that it's time for me to look for other things to do. And for our listeners, so you mentioned that this is not what you wanted to do. And what did you want to do three, four, five years down the line? I don't think I had a solid idea at that point. I knew that I was going to do, I knew I was smart. I knew that I am very driven, but I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. And that's kind of why I was driven to venture capital, because it's kind of an area where you can literally see hundreds, thousands of startups and just kind of explore and learn the tech space overall and really choose what, what you like and what you don't like. Awesome. So what was your next move after Goldman? Yeah, I had sent a cold email. I like did a bunch of other interviews at private equity and hedge funds. Pretty quickly realized I didn't want to do that either because it was going back to the finance side and it wasn't moving towards the direction I wanted to go, which was product. And so then one of my friends gave me an email to someone who worked at A16Z. He's like, here, try emailing him. Maybe he'll answer. And I did cold email him and he answered. And then two months later, eight interviews later, I got an offer there. And so that's when I decided to leave Goldman and join A16Z. And for our listeners who may not know what A16Z is, what is it? And kind of tell us a little bit about the firm. Yeah, they're a venture capital based in Silicon Valley. They were founded only six years ago, but are doing phenomenal in terms of their performance in the VC landscape. They invest in tech companies primarily anywhere from C to Series D stage. And yeah, pretty young, but thriving company. What are some of the companies that people may have heard about? BuzzFeed, Stack Exchange, Optimizely, Facebook was an investment, Twitter. Lyft. Lyft, Pinterest. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, in order to get into that position, was there anything that you learned, any soft skills or hard skills that you learned at Goldman that helped you get into that position? Definitely. I think Goldman, as I said, the training was incredible. Not only the formal training, the six-week training, but also on the job. Like you become like a nearly a perfect employee. You, you learn how to send a perfect email. You learn, and you're like what 22 at that age, and you're like very well crafted. And that's something that I felt like a lot of my peers were missing that maturity in like how to be a good employee. So I definitely got a lot out of it. Yeah, and when you're there, 120 hours a week. Yeah, and the, you're working on a very small team, and you're constantly getting feedback on your emails and your. Everything that goes out has to be reviewed. So 
you learn very quickly what to do and what not to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you're working, what, like three times as much as or two times as much as your friends. And so sure. you get twice as much as experience in the same amount of time, I think. Nice. So at this point, you accept, you got the offer from uh, Andreessen Horowitz. Uh, what was your role there? Uh, and when you started there, did that meet your expectations? Yeah, of course, it beat my expectation. The A16Z was incredible. And I joined initially as a growth investor, along with another person named Ashwin Bajwadi. And then eventually over time, I moved over to venture because I felt like that's where I was more interested in. And the analysis of companies on the venture side is is a lot more stimulating for me personally. And I think the thing about A16Z that's phenomenal is a network that they have. It's unbelievable. Like They continue to expand their network. And I think that's a thesis. One of the core theses that they have is like, as a venture capital, we need to continue to build our network by giving and then not taking. And then like you receive the what you give later at some point, but they're, they're always about giving. They're always about helping an entrepreneur or helping a company or making connections. And so through that, I got like a lot of exposure to people in the Valley that I probably couldn't have gotten otherwise. Awesome. And you actually mentioned your blog post that you left the best job in the world because you obviously were in love with what you were doing. So what motivated you to consider leaving this awesome opportunity where you're learning a lot, you're speaking with founders, you're surrounded by amazing people? Yeah. So my job was obviously to meet with entrepreneurs every single day and learn about what they do, why they're doing what they do. Over time, I quickly realized that I myself see an entrepreneur in myself. And I, I really, I really like respected what they did. I envied what they did. I thought like being an entrepreneur, like because I didn't know what I wanted to do after Goldman, like as I said, I wasn't sure. I knew I was smart, but I, I knew I worked hard, but I didn't know what to do with that. And I felt like when I got to A16Z, it was pretty clear that like, this is what I want to do. This is exactly what I would consider a perfect role, like being an entrepreneur and like going out and building something. But I felt like the one skill set that I was missing was like actually knowing how to build the product myself. And A16Z particularly, like we have a strong bias against like professional CEOs and like we are always looking for technical founders because if you're going to build a tech company and you're not very technical, it's hard to motivate engineers if you're not technical. It's hard to build like a solid foundation for the product if you're not very technical. And I felt like that's the one skills that I needed to have. And I felt like this, this is the time to do it. And if I wait another year or two years or three years, it's going to start to feel too late. And I'm never going to do it if I don't do it now. And so it was like an urgency that I had to get this done right now. Yeah. And something you mentioned in our pre-interview was that you started to learn how to code, but then you realized that in order to do this right, you had to fully commit to it. Can you talk a little about your process of discovering kind of coding and then how do you figure out what to do next? Yeah. So I guess I discovered it. It was like a trial and error thing. I tried multiple times, failed multiple times. And it was very frustrating. I think a lot of people go through this. When I wrote the blog post, so many people identified with like, oh, I, I keep trying, but I keep falling off. Like, I don't think it's for me. And then when they heard that I felt the same way, and then in the end it clicked, people related to that. So I went through that process myself, like a bunch of roller coasters. And then finally when it clicked, I knew that like, this is what I've been looking for. It's like, it kept me so engaged and so motivated. It didn't feel like a job. It didn't feel like work. So... Were there any people that you consulted or that you talked to during this process that either supported or kind of encouraged you not to go in that direction? Obviously, like there was a few people that 
I would say like, they're like, why would you go in this direction? Like most people go from engineering to business, not from like business to engineering. It's a very, like no one really does this. And I felt like I did get that a little bit, that kind of criticism. But I was like, you know what? Like they're not living my lives. Like I don't want to feel guilty the rest of my life for not having this skill set. I'm 25 or I was 25 and I felt like I have so much time to go back to business. I can spend at least five years doing this and then see where it takes me. So, yeah. Do you remember what that moment was? You said that it clicked for you. Do you remember what happened to make you feel that way? Yeah, I went through this tutorial on Treehouse for like Shout three out days. Treehouse. <laughs> <laughs> and basically, I just copied and copied what they did. But still, like, I remember making every line change and refreshing the page, line change and refreshing the page and like, you set the background color, the color changes, you set the text color, the text changes, you set some CSS, all of a sudden it looks nice. It was like incredibly amazing. And it totally hit me that one project. And then after that, I forced myself to do another project. And this time, my strategy for not, like a lot of people say they try to do projects on their own, but then they fall off or it's too hard or they get stuck and they don't know where to go. The way I got, I went through that process as well. And But this time, what I did differently was I went on like a I went on this platform and I just hired a tutor for $50 an hour. I would meet with him twice a week. And he just kept me going because I, even when I got stuck, I knew that I would have an hour in two days to talk to this dude who could help me through this. And I was just paying him $50 an hour. That's and awesome. And we actually had some guests on our podcast before who also hired a tutor. Do you remember what platform you used to find the tutor? It was honestly, I, I forget. It was like not, nothing like, special it was just like, like craigslist like, pretty much like craigslist yeah awesome nice and for our listeners too i think it's important to realize that coding a lot of people learn on their own but if you want to accelerate and expedite that growth there's nothing wrong with like asking for mentorship and advice especially of people who either taught themselves or people who've been doing it for a few years i know for myself like i started coding twice and i quit both times until i actually like knew that met someone who has been coding and he kind of mentored me through the first couple of weeks. And those are usually the times when um, you'll either make it or break it. So it sounds like you um, did something smart. So you went out of your way to say, hey, I want to have a mentor. And uh, I guess a good analogy would also be like a personal trainer at the gym if you've never worked out before. You need someone to kind of show you the tools, best practices and kind of get you on your way. Yeah, exactly. And it was nice to have him be someone I didn't know. Mm-hmm. It was like I wasn't embarrassed. I was like, I I'm gonna go go to him with all my problems, and he's gonna help me through this. That's it awesome. Was like it's cool. And before diving deep into coding, like what were the alternatives that you were considering? Interesting. Yeah, I think I was obviously considering like different roles at A16Z itself. Obviously, they have different teams, and so I was like, maybe I can try being on another team, like the market development team or executive talent or something. That's one thing I considered. Other thing was like literally going and doing my own thing right away without the technical skills. But I was really hesitant to do that because I knew that if I came to A16Z like for an investment or even me, like when I analyze companies, if the founder wasn't technical, it was hard for me to like trust their vision. Yeah. And so that was like already out of the picture for me. And so my options were like, I want to do this and that's it. Did you consider doing graduate school or getting a master's? Yeah, yeah. that's what I consider. I definitely consider that. I thought. So there's two ways to get technical shops. You can either like just learn it on your own or you can go and get a degree. I definitely consider the degree approach because I was like, maybe I want to do a PhD. Because like one thing I was like, okay, what am I good at? And then I knew I was really good at school. Like I got straight A pluses. I got a 4.0. 
I was like, maybe I'm like meant to be an academic or something. And so I was like, let me look into PhD programs. And I looked into a bunch of them. I talked to a bunch of PhD people. And the PhD people looked at me and they're like, you're not the PhD type of person. Like, you should not do this. Don't waste four years of your life doing this. And I was like, okay, but I want to. And I like really heavily looked into data science because it's like a growing field, machine learning. And I was like, something about it just didn't click. I took a bunch of classes in data science and I was like, I wasn't like sparked. And I think it was finally when I built my first web application that it hit me. I was like, this is what I want to do. It was just like automatically like, yes. Yeah, there's something about the feedback loop, how you can make a change in code and then you refresh your page and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, now I have this new button or this new feature. And there's something empowering about being able to envision it, sketch it out and then create it with code. And then within a few minutes, you'll know exactly what it looks like. And so you made this decision to go full time. and so. And you're considering all these different options, including graduate school, but somebody, they told you not to go the academic route. And so how did you pursue how to, where you wanted to go next? And then was there other people that you talked to about where you wanted to go next? Yeah, I talked to a lot of people at ACCNC that were older than me and sort of my mentors. And they were very supportive of me doing my PhD. Like even my manager, Frank Chen, was like, if you want to do that, I can help you, like get you the right connections and everything. In the end... When I started learning on my own, I was like, I don't think I need a PhD to do this. And like, I don't want to be 28 and starting to do this. I want to be like a year from now and starting to do this. And I felt like I wanted to take the slight risk and just do this on my own and not spend so much time going to school. And not only that, but you have to spend at least a year doing like studying for like getting into PhD and like picking a professor. It's a lot of time. And unless I'm going to be an academic, it didn't feel like the right way. Yeah. And so. How did you choose the boot camp that you went to? And how did you hear about them in the first place? My friend Emily Dong, she did the boot camp. So that's when I first started it like two years ago. And then I did a bunch of research. Like most people read all the Yelp reviews and all the reviews online. Um, by far, Hack Reactor was like the best reviewed. And everyone had like amazing things to say. I literally did not find one bad thing. And then I was like, this can't be real. And so I hit up like a few, <laughs> including Arthur and Chimor. I hit them up. I was like, it's hard. like, I remember like, I, I think it was, yeah. it was after I got in, but I was still doing my yeah. diligence. Yeah, we met, I think maybe a week after you got in or something like that. Yeah. And I was like, is this like legit? What did you learn? Like, was it worth it? And like, I talked to at least seven or eight people, just randomly reached out to them. And then they all said 100% totally worth it. I was like, this is totally worth it. And like, I had my boyfriend on the other hand. He's like, don't do that. That's so stupid. That's gimmicky as hell. Like, you're not going to go to a boot camp. And it's I was like, like another Trump university. Get rich quick. Scheme. <laughs> yeah, that's what he said. Yeah, like, I was actually just- kind of um, concerned about that as well. But one thing that did it for me was I was like, I can't really trust the reviews because, hey, like people could like hire someone else to do it, create fake accounts. I was like, I'm going to go to LinkedIn and look up. HR alumni and then see where they work now. Yeah. Exactly. And then once I start seeing that just by typing Hack Reactor into the search bar, you start seeing, oh, there's an engineer at Google, there's an engineer at Facebook, there's an engineer at this startup. Then you're like, all right, well, if these people were able to find jobs and I found more than 20 that were able to do it, I was like, all right, then it's got to be real. Yeah, exactly. So how was the actual process to get into the bootcamp once you made that decision? So the interview process, you mean? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so they, they don't really give you, they give you some guidelines in an email saying like, this is what you should know. And I reached out to a few friends, they're like, what should I know? And they gave me some advice. I studied that f- hardcore for a month. What did they tell you? They said, 
a like obviously build something from scratch don't just follow tutorials and actually go build a website to like pointed me to a few open source libraries and say like learn how these actually work learn how to implement these functions do you remember which open source libraries they recommended it was underscore js yeah and then i did that and then i i don't know how i got in the first time but i got in like on the first try and it was like it was a no-brainer that i'm gonna go at that point nice so at this point i guess you know that you already got accepted to hack reactor did you take any steps to prepare for the curriculum and like, what did you do in the, the, meantime, the meantime before the we can actually start it? Yeah, I mean, as you might know, Hack Reactor gives us massive pre-course work. It's like 80 hours, depending on how quickly you can finish it. But yeah, after I got in, I got that packet. And so they gave it to you exactly a month before it starts. So you only have four weeks to finish. And so I started on that right away. And, and were you still at ACSNZ while you were doing this? Yeah. So I was doing it at night's. I'd work during the day and do this at nights. I finished it in a week and a half or two weeks. So it wasn't like horrible. And you used to those 120 hour weeks, you know, $80 <laughs> is nothing. Yeah. And then, then I had like two weeks left to do my own thing. So I just like started following tutorials again, like building another website, just doing as much coding as I can just to get my like, get warmed up before the program. Nice. So it sounds like you did your preparation. You took your preparation very carefully. Once you started at Hack Reactor, what was your first impression of the school, of the students, of what you were learning? I was actually very impressed for how big they've gotten. They've been able to maintain the quality pretty high. And they, I love their, their attitude of like always asking for feedback and always improving. Like that was the number one thing I think that keeps them alive. It keeps them like the number one school is like they're always, every week we had like feedback sessions and they'd say like what can we improve how can we improve this what can we do better they'd continue to like a b test different like curriculum type stuff and so yeah yeah and something else you did while you were doing the program is keep a blog and i remember even though i've gone through hack reactor you would post like every single week you documented you took your notes and you consolidated into like this one comprehensive piece that talked about the curriculum takeaways and by the way, if you guys are listening, interested in what Hack Reactor is like, this is probably one of the best blogs to check out. Preeti, do you remember, what's the name of the blog? How can people find it? It's just on Medium. If you just search my name, you'll find it. Awesome. Yep. Yeah. We'll include it in the show notes. Yeah, we'll include it in the show notes. But I highly recommend it because even gone, being through that experience, just by following her experience, I was able to kind of relive a lot of these moments. And you pretty much covered data structures, D3, jQuery, all the frameworks, so it's not only like an interesting view into Hack Reactor, it's also a very good introduction to a lot of these like cutting edge JavaScript tools as well. Yeah, it kind of, I want to show how you can build up this knowledge, like where you start and then where you end up. Yeah, yeah. totally. How did you manage to do that? Just curious, because you're at Hack Reactor like six days a week for over 12 hours a day. Yeah, because on Saturdays, we'd finish a little bit earlier on like five. And so instead of like going and eating with everyone or like mingling or like getting drunk or something, I'd spend like three hours at Hack Reactor just drafting the blog. And then on Sunday, I'd edit it for like an hour and then I'd post it on Monday. Nice. Awesome. So, awesome. So like you had a routine that helped you yeah. solidify your thoughts. I think like I've never been as routine as I was at Hack Reactor. Like I, I'm pretty routine. Like I'm very strict about certain things, but like Hack Reactor was like, wake up at this time, do this at this time, go to sleep at this time. It Can you like tell that. our listeners uh, about your routine? Because you told us uh, your routine in the pre-interview and it's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, 
the one thing that keeps me sane, I think, is I work out every day at 4.30. Seven days a um, week. Seven days a week. That's impressive. That's yeah. two, what time do you go to sleep? I've been trying to go to sleep around 10.30. Lately. But sometimes you go to sleep later and still get up at 4.30. Yeah, I have to. Um, I expect it. If I don't do, do that, I just feel like insane. Yeah. What do you think about waking up so early? Like, keeps you motivated? Yeah, I started this freshman year of college. And I made a commitment to wake up early and work out because I used to work out later in the day. And when I first started it, it was like magical. Something about morning workouts is, was peaceful. amazing. Right now, that feeling kind of numbed out. I'm so used to it that it's not the same feeling. But I, it was like you feel like you're awake before anyone else in the world is. And you're living the, you're living the world before anyone else is. And like it, you, you just you're start the, the extra three hours a day. Yeah, and you start the day way ahead of anyone else. And you've already done so much by the time people are waking up. So Yeah, no, I, f- I fully agree with that. And so... Did you ever work out with anybody else in Hackriat, or did anybody else adopt your philosophy? Most people <laughs> fell I think off most the people uh, woke up at like 7 or 8 a.m. right before class. Yeah. <laughs> After she had just written a three-hour blog post. <laughs> awesome. And so you finish the boot camp process. You go through all the hoops. You write about it. Talk about how you approach the, the job search. Yeah. So a lot of people, I mean, Hack Reactor strongly encourages that after you graduate, you go and like you start recruiting right away. Like they actually make you recruit the week, the last week that you're there. For me, I didn't want to do that. I felt like I still wanted more time to soak this stuff in, to contribute to open source, to kind of build my own stuff, build my portfolio. And I was in no rush to get a job, honestly. And I was like, you know what, I'll push my recruiting process off by a couple months and I'll do the things I want to do. I'll build the things that I wanted to build. And that's what I did. And Hack Reactor wasn't very happy with that. But I felt like that's the right thing for me. And so that's what I did. I, I left and I started building a side project. Luckily, I got reached out by an open source contributor. And he asked me to work on a project with him. That was probably the best project I could have had after Hack Reactor. It was very intense, like system level stuff, where I was like, learn to compile my own libraries and Learn to use Docker very heavily, learn to use VMs and like spin up VMs and like SSH into VMs. Like this is all stuff that like, you know, you don't learn a hack reactor. And I got that experience. And so I did that for a month. And then after that, that's when I started looking for jobs. When I felt like that month helped me significantly in terms of my knowledge and skill set because I had an extra month to soak things in. So yes. what advice would you have for our listeners who are either applying to boot camps or about to graduate boot camps? In terms of approaching the job search, should they jump into the job search right away or should they pick an open source project or find some interesting technical challenge to tackle? It's a tough one because sometimes you don't have the money or you can't afford to do that. And it really depends on your personality. Like some people, I'm naturally just very driven and I don't really need a Like I'm really good at keeping a schedule and making commitments. Some people are not. Like if they say, oh, I'm just going to contribute to open source, like that never happens. So it really depends on your personality. Like that's why a lot of people come to boot camps, right? Like you sit there and try to learn on your own and you just can't. Like you need someone to actually put that in front of you and have give you a schedule and tell you what to do. So it really depends on your personality. If you are good at like managing your own schedule and you think that you can stay motivated and contribute to open source, I think that's a great way to go because then you get experience under your belt. You can talk about it in interviews. Like me talking about my project in interviews was incredibly valuable. They were like, wow, you can do this with three months of coding. Like, what can you do in a year from now? Mm-hmm. But if you feel like or you can't afford it or you think that you might not be as diligent about doing all this work as much as you want to, then you should probably just recruit right away. Nice. 
What advice in general do you have for people who are going through interviews? Did you um, practice algorithms? Any resources that you use to get yourself up to speed? Yeah, I, I hated when I was before I recruited. I was like so hesitant to start or like to continue my algorithm studying. I was just like, this can't be the way that interviewing is done today. But once I did a few interviews, I was like, wow, this is all what interviews is. Like you literally have to learn that stuff inside and out. And so that's when I took the Crack in the Coding interview book very seriously. I literally went through it like two or three times. Not like every problem, but I went through the problem sets. And it helped me tremendously. Of course, there were some companies that were very practical. They didn't involve any algorithms. They were like more like, here's a project, build it. It was 50-50, I'd say. Some were very alg- algorithmic, some were, some were not. And Can you give our listeners maybe a little example of what a practical problem is versus what an algorithm problem looks like? Yeah. So, for example, one interview was basically five whiteboarding interviews in a row. And they, the person walks in, he or she, and he's like, here's an alg- algorithmic problem. Solve it. And you are in front of a whiteboard solving it for 45 minutes. And you either get it or not and you just have to explain your thought process and all that the practical one is maybe someone emails you because you applied for them They're like hey we like we like your resume um here's the project or here's step one which is a small project they'll take your day to build send it to us when you're done and then we'll go to next steps next steps is usually just like less technical and more like high level systems types questions and then they give you an offer they don't give you an offer mm-hmm. cool and so after you went through all this process or as you were going through this process, did you get rejected at all after the open source? Of course. <laughs> Rejection is like, I mean, unless you're a super genius, it's impossible not to get rejected. Because it's not just that like you don't know your stuff. It's that the fit sometimes doesn't work out. There's so many other factors that come into it. Maybe you're just having a bad day and you literally did not, even though you did, they gave you a problem you've heard before, you actually just totally fuck up. Like mm-hmm. that, that happened to me once. Like I was just, had an off day and I knew this, I knew how to go through this, but I just like, I didn't get through it. So yes, I've gotten rejections. And I think that really hardened me up the first couple of weeks. I was like, wow, this is way harder than I thought it was going to be. It was not a piece of cake. And I knew that I had to work really hard to get through this. Yeah. So like leaving the best job in the world and having like a network, like the one that you had, did you feel like that was going to be a lot easier? Like when you did get that cold splash of water in the face, did it kind of like, I don't know how you thought yeah, about so it going like, in. I think one of the things Hack Director kept saying is like, I have a very impressive background, but don't bring it up too much because it's not going to help me in the process. And I was like, no, that can't be true. And it was partially true. Like I, even though I have a really cool background, it's not really what I would do day to day. So if they ask me, yes, I'll brag about it. But if they don't, then don't bring it up. Like the, what you have to do is explain to them why you're good technically and why you'll be good for this job, not what you did in the past, because that's not going to help your case at all in the interview. So yes, I think that's something that I was not sure of. I was like, well, people care that I worked at 816Z or will it not matter? Sometimes people did, that was really, really cool. And they would ask me questions. Sometimes it was just like irrelevant. It was like, this doesn't matter for this job. Yeah. And for our listeners, like, can you kind of walk them through the process that you used to pick these companies? Because you mentioned in the pre-interview that you knew kind of exactly the type of teams you wanted to join. So what did you base it on? Yeah, so similar, it was kind of like an, the investing theory at A16Z. It was very similar. The things that you look for, number one, are people. Do they have, a, are they technically and, and like, are they technically strong? Are they just like really smart people that you want to work with? 
So people was number one. And it's the same thing at A16Z. Like if you don't believe in the people that are building the company, you're not going to invest in the company. So same thing with me. I, was, I wasn't going to invest my time in a company that I didn't believe in. So people too was like the caliber of the engineering team. I always want to be the most junior or one of the most junior people on the team because that's when you're challenged the most, you learn the most. You might fuck up a lot, but there's so much room to grow. You never get bored. And three was like, I believed in the product. Yeah. And I felt like, yeah, Coinbase had all three. It was one of the ones that had all three, surprisingly. And can you tell our listeners kind of in a nutshell, what does Coinbase do? Yeah, so we build a platform to buy and sell Bitcoin and Ethereum, so digital currencies. And we have like a wallet where you can like buy and store and sell and trade, send and request Bitcoin and Ethereum. We also have a GDAX platform, which is more for like bigger clients and enterprise customers to do more like high volume trading of Ethereum and cryptocurrencies. We're still in the early phases where we're building a strong foundation. And like, because obviously in the crypto world, there's a lot of fraud, a lot of bad stuff happening, people using it for the wrong stuff. And we are building a a foundation to kind of, we're probably the only Bitcoin company that hasn't gone hacked in like six years. So that's pretty impressive already. And you guys have a huge credibility in the community too. First, you guys have Andreessen Horowitz backing the company, which already gives a, a sense of like safety. Like I personally own a few Bitcoins and I we all bought do. them. We all do. And uh, we use Coinbase for that. And the primary reason is that you can actually trust those guys that they're not going to like lose your money yeah, tomorrow. Exactly. Yeah. Knock on wood. Can you take part of your salary in Bitcoin? Yeah. We can take whatever percentage, even 100% if you want. That's awesome. That's awesome. Nice. Cool. Well, what's next for you? What's next? That's a good question. I definitely want to keep doing this for at least, I don't know how long, maybe a year, two years, five years. I have no idea yet because I'm learning so much every single day that it's impossible to get bored. But I know that I won't be an engineer forever. I know I have other skill sets I want to, I want to use, particularly like starting my own company. But I'm not entirely sure when that will be. It might be in two years. It might be in three. So I think I'm going to take I'm so new to Coinbase. I'm so new to this job that I don't want to think too far ahead of myself yet. I think I'm going to take this first year as it goes and then evaluate, like, what do I feel right now? Do I feel like doing this for much longer or do I think it's time for me to go and do my own thing? Yeah. Awesome. So great responses, Preeti. So at this point in our interview, we do the lightning round. And this is where Arthur, um, Ruben and I will ask you a series of questions and try to provide um, short answers. but include tactics, strategies, and your resources that you use to get to the point where you are today. So with that said, Arthur, take it away. Yeah. So this question takes it back to the basics. So imagine you were starting from scratch again. You were dropped in a new city where you didn't know anyone and you only had $100 and you were trying to start all over again. So what would you do and how would you spend that $100? Oh, wow. $100. Obviously, I can't get an apartment. And so I'd probably try to make a friend and find somewhere to live on a couch or on the floor or something. And then I would, I wouldn't buy a computer. I wouldn't buy anything because that's not much to buy. I'd save probably $50 for food. And then the other 50 I'd spend on like getting any kind of access to a computer and sort of finding my first job, whether it's a coffee shop or anything, and then build myself up from there. I like it. So let's take it back to when you were thinking about a frustrating moment or when you were doubting yourself. Was there a song that you listened to or a movie that you watched or somebody that you talked to or a piece of art that you 
experience that allowed you to break through that roadblock? What song by Kanye? Oh, that's hard. Probably Click. Okay. I like that. I like that. Nice. So another question we'd like to ask is, having gone through this journey of starting in finance, then doing venture capital, breaking into startups by learning how to code, what is one piece of advice that you have for our listeners who are contemplating breaking into startups or starting on this journey? If you want to do it, do it. Don't be scared. It's not that hard. Awesome. You guys Great. heard it from Preeti. It's not that hard. It's not that hard. Yeah. And we also like to ask, what is one thing that you fundamentally believed in going to this process that you changed your mind on now having finished it or at least being on the other side? I would say, if anything, I'm more happy that I chose. Like, I can't imagine look, looking back now, like a year from now, a year ago, I can't imagine going the rest of my career, which is about like 40 years without this skill set. Mm-hmm. I think that's, a, that's the number one thing I realized. I was like, this is exactly what I needed. And I, I, this is the future. And this is what I needed to build my career. It's a good answer. And you mentioned a lot of really awesome online resources that helped you get to this point. Can you kind of like share one or a few online resources that people can go to or books that people can read if they were going to start from scratch to get up to at least the boot camp level? I would say start with Code Academy, the 10-hour course. Once you're done with that, once you got some like juice flowing, then go to Treehouse. Treehouse has so many amazing courses and it's like video-based, so I loved it. Then once you go through that, then get off the like videos and watching and start doing like find places where you can find easy practice problems. I forget some of the websites, but we can put in the show notes. And actually start, yeah, Quarterby, exactly. That stuff is incredibly challenging, but that's how you learn. It was tough. I hated going to those sites because I always felt like demotivated. And I was like, I can't do this. This is too hard. And then I realized that's the only way I learned, really. Yeah, so anytime you feel that, that demotivation play click by Kanye, you know, <laughs> in, in the whole My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy yeah, album. Yeah, so good. And uh, we'll get through it. Yeah. And one topic we didn't cover, but I'm curious, how does your family feel about this journey? Kind of seeing you leave like one of the best jobs in the world, taking complete risk and learning how to code. And now you've kind of came out on the other side. Kind of what, what did your parents think throughout the whole process? Oh, my mom thinks I'm absolutely nuts. Uh, <laughs> she's like, first of all, why, why would you leave Goldman? And then I, I left Goldman and that like finally settled. And then she's like, why would you leave A16Z? And she's like, why would you do engineering? Engineers don't make any money. She just is like, she thinks like I should just be a doctor. She's very uh, traditional Indian. Mm-hmm. And I get her side because doctors do save lives. And she's always wanted me to become a doctor. So she thinks I'm crazy, but she knows that I'll, I'll figure it out. So in the end, she's supportive. Yeah. Nice. And to build on what Arthur asked, um, when you told your coworkers at Andreessen Horowitz that you were leaving that job, how did they feel about that? Surprisingly, everyone was super supportive including the general partners like Mark, Ben, Chris Dixon. I work pretty closely with Chris Dixon. They were like all like gung-ho about me doing this. I was shocked. I thought like they'd think I I was crazy for doing this, but they liked it. Yeah, and you mentioned in your pre-interview that you inspired your little sister to consider learning how to code, right? Yeah, because she read all my blog posts that I wrote and I sent her the one on computers, like how do computers work or how does the web work? And she was like, wow, this is actually really interesting. And then she like started reading more. And then now she's just started a boot camp for six months. And what, what's the name of the boot camp? I don't know. It's, it's at Rutgers. Uh-huh. So it's within the school itself. Got it. And, and what did she study? She was a psychology major. Very cool. 
Very awesome. Cool. Well, you dropped a lot of gems during this interview. What is the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you? Are you on any social media, email? Twitter. Twitter? Yeah. What's your Twitter handle? I am underscore Preeti. Awesome. We'll include that in the show notes. And yeah, thanks for being on our podcast. We're super excited about watching how your journey unfolds and uh, stay in touch. Awesome. Yeah, yeah we'll, ha- we'll have your sister on next time. <laughs> yeah. And maybe you can come in and interview her. Yeah, I like yeah. that plan. Sounds good. Let's awesome. do it. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks right. a lot, Preeti. Bye.